welcome back to A Place for Film, the official IU Cinema podcast. I'm your co-host, Elizabeth Rell, and joining me, as always, is my co-host, David Carter. David! I am here in a place that is not usually where I record this podcast every week, so forgive all the weird sounds. Hey, Elizabeth, what's up? Oh, my God. I think that was less than 15 seconds, so we won't get sued. (laughs) (laughs) I was not expecting that. Uh, Yes, I am recording this podcast in a different place, so my mood's in a different place. I'm also completely checked out right now because uh, I'm just I'm just relaxing. It's a relaxing weekend for me. Chilling out, relaxing. Just uh, you know, chilling out, relaxing, all cool, playing some b-ball outside of the school when a couple of guys that were up to no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. Guys, I'm sorry for this that's this what, week. That's what I wanted to do, but I knew I would mess it up and I didn't want to embarrass myself. Oh, Lord. Anyway, uh, what's up, Elizabeth? Glad you're back with us again this week. I am very glad to be back. I was very sad to not have been able to be there in person last week, but you did such a wonderful job and you had two great mm-hmm. guests and it was such a fun time to edit. Loved putting in weird little clips and things. I hope people enjoyed it. I hope people enjoy the program, which as we're recording this is tonight. Yeah, obviously the episode won't be up until after the program. But I uh, hope you enjoyed Double Exposure. Hope you enjoyed Amiki Novum. But I just wanted to say the reason that my brain is shut off and I'm just very much in a low-key mode is because I start a new job on Monday. And, oh, my uh, God. <laughs> and my life's about to get crazy uh, for the for the like maybe six people who don't know already who listen to this podcast. <laughs> um, and that's being generous that six people. I uh, got a job as the program coordinator for the Heartland Film Festival. The wonderful Greg Sorvig, friend of the cinema, uh, definitely future guest on this podcast. And uh, Julia Ricci, uh, also hopefully future guest on this podcast through a lot of circumstances, had reached out to me and offered me a job to be the program coordinator for Heartland this year. So, yeah, I will. I officially have conned my way into a programmer's <laughs> job, <laughs> but I'm not really going anywhere. Nothing significant's going to change about the podcast or anything like that. I just have more to do. But <laughs> the things I do are be getting to sit and watch people's movies and uh, curating them and working with a team of people and uh yeah i if you told me a year ago today which yeah i was still a bus driver just furloughed uh yeah i didn't think i would uh, be doing this so it's been a weird year yeah (laughs) it's it's been a strange year but that is not what we are here to talk about this week although i'm very excited about it me and elizabeth just wanted to catch up and we just wanted to give you another episode about the the films and things we watched this week just very short and sweet to send you off into the rest of the week and but before we get to that elizabeth is going to bring us the schedule at the iu cinema coming up this week at iu cinema first beginning on wednesday april 14th and available until the 28th we have the 1923 Buster Keaton film, Our Hospitality. Keaton stars as Willie McKay, who travels west by train to claim his birthright, but his trip doesn't go quite as planned. This is the first film in our new series, Any Day Classics, Make Em Laugh, a virtual take on our previous Sunday Matinee Classics series. 
The films in the series are available free of charge for those who are signed up to receive IU Cinema Weekly emails, which you can do by visiting the cinema's website and going to the contact page. Also this week on Saturday, April 17th at 7pm, we have the 2021 John Vickers Scoring Award world premiere score for the 1925 silent documentary, Grass, A Nation's Battle for Life. This annual award is endowed by former IU trustee, the Honorable P.A. Mack Jr., and was awarded to composer Patrick Holcomb of the IU Jacobs School of Music for his commissioned original score for Grass. The film follows a branch of the Bakhtiari tribe of Persia as they and their herds make their seasonal journey to better pastures. You won't want to be late for this one, as it is a one-time only live viewing event. You must be present at the beginning to watch. All right, so Elizabeth, I will go first for this. I've watched a lot of things over the past few weeks. Um, Godzilla vs. Kong, I just would like to say, is I have not jived with any of these MonsterVerse movies except for Kong Skull Island, weirdly enough. I know people really like that first Godzilla movie, 2014, and there are even people who really love Godzilla King of the Monsters. They have never worked for me. I just something about uh, the translation of uh, of like American trauma to like this thing that is distinctly born out of like Japanese, like mm-hmm. national Japanese trauma, like just never really works for me. And I always felt like if you make an American one of these, they should kind of lean into like the later Godzilla movies that are less about commentary and more about monsters just kind of punching each other uh, <laughs> and fun, cool things happening. And thank God Godzilla versus Kong delivered exactly what I wanted. It's so <laughs> dumb. It's dumber than a box of rocks. They go to the hollow earth where there is a completely different world down there. There's like a big fight between monsters. Every act of the movie, it's less than two hours Rebecca Hall says Godzilla bows to no one. At one point, <laughs> Godzilla and King Kong just scream at each other. Oh my. It's uh, it's incredible, but that is not the movie I am here to talk about this week. I just wanted to say, like, uh, I feel like it's like a mixed movie and uh, whatever, but I'm like, yeah, it's a good time. It's on HBO Max. Go watch it. I feel like I just read another one of your reviews of a different movie where you were like, this is fun, but it's dumber than a box of rocks. This Which is, is Waterworld. Like yes. That's yes, what it was. I, I really like the Kevin Costner movie Waterworld <laughs> because it's like they spent so much money making that mo- money. I mean, making that movie. And it's like notoriously like a huge box office bomb. <laughs> but like the fact that they spent so much money on making a movie that is essentially like, what if it was Mad Max? But the opposite, there's too much water instead of not enough water. <laughs> And they spent so much money designing these sets and like water is notoriously an incredibly expensive thing to work with on film. And there but there's like nothing to it. Like it's such a dumb movie, but it's why I enjoy it. And it's like so long and indulgent. And that's so funny. I mean, yes, I know Kevin Costner didn't direct the movie, but I know he's like directly responsible for the movie. I think it's one of those like shadow directed movies. Mm. Because Kevin Costner is in himself accomplished director. That's funny because Netflix was suggesting it to us and Ryan didn't know what it was. And I was like, <laughs> I would definitely say check out Waterworld. If it's long. It is long. I do like the longer cut of the movie. I think I just like <laughs> longer cuts of movies as evidenced by the fact that I did enjoy the Snyder cut. But 
I want to talk about a classy film and only less known because of the circumstances behind its availability. But I would like to talk about Elaine May's second feature film, The Heartbreak Kid. Neil Simon wrote it. Elaine May directed it. The Heartbreak Kid. It's just plain old-fashioned corny lingo, sir. Uh, I have fallen head over heels with your Kelly here. Uh, it just, you know, it didn't take me long to make up my mind. One good look did it, actually. I said you're lying in my spot. Oh, you are this terrific girl! You are this terrific <laughs> Now, there is a slight complication. Um, I happen to be a newlywed. Because this is a movie that I'm just going to say it right now. You can watch on YouTube because it's been uploaded there. But if you were to try to buy a physical copy of this movie, it's in, it's so cost prohibitive. It's just been out of print for like so long mm-hmm. because apparently a pharmaceutical company owns the rights to this movie what? and they refuse to relinquish them in any way. So the only but thing why? that exists. I think there was like a big craze in like the 70s and 80s where like pharmaceutical companies were like trying to get into the movie business. And so, yeah, they would fund and buy rights to movies and then like never release them. But the reason I want to talk about this movie is because this is her second feature film. It's written by Neil Simon, who's kind of known for like his comedies. And for those who don't know, Elaine May was comedy partners with director Mike Nichols, who directed so many things. Uh, but I was going to say, you really like him. I do like Mike Nichols a lot. But uh, yes, Mike Nichols, who's most famous for directing The Graduate, and they were comedy partners. Nichols and May, you can watch the, those clips of their sketches on YouTube. Uh, they inspired like a whole generation of comedians and sketch comedy. Like it, it's still pretty fresh today when you watch it. But this is her second film after A New Leaf, and this movie is feels like almost a direct response to The Graduate. It's her, it's essentially like her take on The Graduate. She didn't write the film, Neil Simon did, but you can kind of see her authorial voice kind of over the film. And what the movie is, is about Charles Grodin and Jeannie Berlin, who is Elaine May's daughter in real life. They are newlyweds. They are newlyweds that have not slept together yet, but I think it's implied that Charles Grodin kind of impulsively got engaged to Jeannie Berlin because he wanted to sleep with her. And then Mm. on their honeymoon trip, the things about her just start to grate on him. Charles Grodin is playing, you know, an incredibly unlikable protagonist. You are not supposed to side with him in any way. Uh, He's incredibly impulsive and gross in his own way but on their honeymoon uh, he is on the beach and he bumps into Sybil Shepard immediately decides to start beginning to divorce Jeannie Berlin so that he can pursue Sybil Shepard that's so messed up it is incredibly messed up and if a lot of that sounds familiar it's because it really does kind of sound like a strange parallel almost to the graduate but then also if you listen to the Polly Platt series on you must remember this there are interesting parallels between Peter Bogdanovich leaving Polly Platt for Sybil Shepard (laughs) very awkward but this movie is so funny yeah it's almost like Charles Grodin as an actor like we all kind of mostly know him as like the Beethoven dad like usually like when we were growing up like late 80s 90s and stuff like that he was usually playing like the he is the Beethoven dad I know but it's just funny to think that that's what he's known for but he was like disgruntled dad 
obviously when he was younger, like he was kind of this like not acerbic, but just like he played kind of unlikable characters, characters that annoyed you, characters that had like short tempers and fuses and things like that. I love him in Midnight Run so much. But Mm -hmm. this movie just kind of like plays with the the way that the dialogue they give him to deliver seems like it's almost like custom made for Charles Grodin to deliver just like I don't know there's like little one-liners here and there that like always kind of stick with me and maybe I'll just stick some into the episode now I imagine you've tried just about every kind of exotic dish in New York exactly see that's that's the trouble it's exotic but it's not honest I mean it's fancy but it's not it's not real I mean this is honest food There's no lying in in, in that beef. There's no uh, insincerity in those potatoes. There's no deceit in the cauliflower. This is a a totally honest meal. You don't know what a pleasure it is to sit down this day and age and and eat food that you can believe in. But I wanted to talk about this movie because it is such an off the beaten path movie and I think it would make like a great double feature with The Graduate. Even the last scene of this movie mirrors The Graduate like how that famous like last shot of The Graduate is like them on the back of the bus. Elaine May does her own version of like that last shot like has not learned anything and I don't know it's kind of one of those great movies about how people in general have these like expectations of what they're supposed to want from a partner. Mm -hmm. or a romantic entanglement and the things that they're supposed to feel versus like the actual like organic development of a relationship you know being okay with like the small things about the person you're with that like drive you crazy or like you don't find attractive but as opposed to them being like these like world shattering things that's just like i could never be with this person for the rest of my life essentially like making decisions with your libido And it's just very funny for those things. So if you are interested in this film, which I think you should definitely check out, it is on YouTube. I think Vulture has it. If you have $80 to spend, I think you can find it on eBay on DVD for that much. I wish there would be a groundswell movement to get whatever this pharmaceutical company to just finally relinquish the rights to this movie so that whoever can put it out, I'm sure every boutique distributor has begged them for the rights and they probably just have refused to relinquish them so yes the heartbreak kid elaine may i think 1971 you can find it on youtube with a quick google search make sure you watch that one and And not not, yes and not the one by academy award-winning filmmakers or filmmaker one of the fairly brothers i think it's a fairly brothers movie that's what yeah because it's ben stiller and malin ackerman right yeah and malin ackerman i've seen part of that and i was like what the heck is this and i turned it off (laughs) that is one of those like trailers that is just burned into my brain but i have never seen that movie so yes don't watch the remake with ben stiller please check out the original heartbreak kid and while you're at it elaine may only made four movies watch a new leaf ishtar and mikey and nikki and you can watch the bird cage directed by mike nichols and written by elaine may a movie i just watched for the first time recently and was pleasantly surprised at how not offensive it was (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) elizabeth what did you watch this week well for those out there who are maybe like me uh we all know that baylor completely creamed gonzaga earlier this week or i guess at this point it was last week a week ago so that was fun to watch because that means iu still holds the record for the last perfect season ever 
So I was I was definitely rooting for Baylor. Uh, <laughs> poor Gonzaga. They were all crying. And I always get so sad whenever the little college kids cry at the end of the games. They <laughs> it's so sad. <laughs> um, but outside of basketball, um, now that that's over, I have been able to watch some things. We watched... Uh, this Paul Rudd Netflix show called Living With Yourself. That's only eight episodes. Um, it was weird. It Great. Was, I don't. I don't regret watching it. So if you have eight episodes, they're probably like thirty minutes. It's not even a long time to watch. Um, check that out. Paul Rudd never. He's never like, bad. Not fun. Yeah. No, he's not bad at all. There's two of them too. So there's. T- <laughs> what more he could you ask with for? With himself. <laughs> Paul Rudd's so good, like, I don't even blame him for that, like, awful Ghostbusters afterlife clip that got passed around the internet a couple of days ago. But even in that clip, I'm like, man, it's not his fault. <laughs> <laughs> no, we can't blame him. Um, in terms of movies, though, uh, well, last night we watched The Mummy, which is always fun, but we've said enough about The Mummy. Ryan tried to tell me that The Mummy and or The Mummy Returns is leaving HBO Max at the end of the month. So if that's true, you all got to get out there and watch it. I mean, go watch The Mummy. It's a legitimately good movie. It's not just because you were 12 when you saw it. It's just a good movie. (laughs) I cannot vouch for The Mummy Returns, however. That's a movie I have not revisited in a long time. I don't think I've ever seen it. So I need to Oh, you should watch The Mummy Returns. It's not great, but it's a good time. I mean, I'm always down. But I did watch Brokeback Mountain for the first time. Your brother and sister do right by you? They did the best they could after my folks was gone. Considering they didn't leave us nothing but $24 in a coffee can. I got me a year of high school. Before the transmission went on the pickup. And then my sis left, we made a roughneck, moved to Casper. And me and my brother, we we went and got ourselves some work on a ranch up near Warland until <clears throat> I was 19. And then he got married, and uh, no more room for me. And that's how come uh, me end up here. What? Man, that's more words than you spoke in the past two weeks. Hell, that's the most I've spoken in a year. Elizabeth, tell me how you enjoyed Brokeback Mountain. I'm very excited to hear this. Just so sad. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it was like, it's quiet, but then like, there's a lot of uh, pent up emotions and aggression. And so then like, sometimes it gets pretty loud. Wait, it's pent the- up emotion in an Ang Lee movie? What? Crazy. That sounds crazy. He's like, slow burn. And then here it is. Yes. And then like, more slow. And then here's some more. And you're just like, Ugh. I'm being hit Um, but I really enjoyed it there's there's not a bad performance in that I feel like how I I would say that how do you feel about the Anne Hathaway performance in that movie because I feel like that one that is the most divisive performance in that movie I don't know if I'm biased but I personally love Anne Hathaway I've loved her since the princess diary um but I thought she was good. I mean, it's very, she. there's not like a lot, like as much going on there as there is with 
Michelle Williams, you just see her less. You see Anne Hathaway less. Yes, uh, but it's the thing of like Anne Hathaway is playing like the big performance because she's playing yeah. like the done up like Texas. Uh, yeah, but she's also <laughs> like the rich girl. So she's probably yeah. just been like that her whole life because she's daddy's little girl and she has money. <laughs> I would like to say I agree with you. I actually think that's a really good performance. I think her okay, scene <laughs> where she's on the phone telling Heath what happened to Jake yeah. at some point in the movie. Yeah. And she has to convey the fact that she's saying one thing but implying another thing. Right. With only her face in the tone of her voice. Like I think about that a lot. Like that's like one of those like master class like I don't know how you can do that. Right. But like she sells that scene so well. And like yeah, that's like the scene so that like makes me break down in the movie. She I mean she's really great. I love them all. Even Kate Mara. I was like she's doing good. <laughs> I mean even Randy Quaid's good in it. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> it's one of those those this one of those movies that every time I watch it I'm like, "Oh yeah, Randy Quaid is in this." So, would you do you think this is a movie you'll revisit? This is one of those movies I revisit a lot over the years i think i definitely will i mean yeah it's just kind of long so you just have to like be in the mood for something sad that you're not gonna feel great afterwards and then like also sit through it for two hours and 15 minutes yes but i think it's one of those like movies that i feel very fulfilled after Mm, i watch it like it feels like a whole meal it you know it's just one of those movies that makes me sad for you know what happened to heath and Mm. I'll watch any Heath Ledger movie. <laughs> it's also another one of those movies that like, you know, as we look back on the arts as arts nostalgia and, you know, reexamining our behavior and things back then. It's like, it's just crazy how much vitriol this movie got and like how many bad jokes got made about it over the course of oh my so many years. And just the fact that it lost a crash. This is oh, the yeah, this is that so Oscar annoying. years. Yeah, this is that <laughs> famous year where Jack Nicholson, like when he reads like and the Oscar goes to Crash. He does this thing where he like raises his eyebrows and like puts his hands up in the air. Like he's like, wasn't my choice. Crash. <laughs> uh, yes, it, this was so clearly like the film that oh. should have won. But obviously homophobia run was running rampant uh, in the Bush years. So I d- don't don't think there was a chance that this was gonna. Yeah. And the Heath Ledger refusing to make a joke of it. Which is very... Yes. Elizabeth, do you have any more thoughts on Brokeback Mountain before we go? If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. If all you've seen are stupid parodies of it, definitely watch it because the parodies Where can you watch it? Uh, where did we watch it? Netflix. Go check out Brokeback Mountain on Netflix. Well, we just want to do a little chill episode today to catch up. I don't know what's coming up. I haven't talked to Elizabeth about this yet, but we will start probably brainstorming our summer series because it's the time the time is a coming yes i i feel like maybe this year it should be if we decide to do a vote on it it should be all elizabeth's picks because i got my 1999 film series last year i mean two years ago i guess at this point so uh i think maybe elizabeth should take the reins and we pick one of hers this year but me and elizabeth uh, are great friends so whatever gets picked i'm gonna enjoy anyway so say so somebody's <laughs> already picked up our twilight or my twilight idea i know so we can't Wait, do that one i feel like we got to avoid it although i was ahead of the time david y- you were ahead of the times <laughs> although you you have there have been things you have mentioned that i have wanted to go down the rabbit hole with you on so we'll talk about those on on a on a later episode um elizabeth where can people find you online Instagram, Letterboxd, Twitter, at my name, Elizabeth Rell. 
uh, you can find me on Twitter at Samurai Flicks, on Letterboxd and Instagram at Robert Dolphy. I'm going to bring back thank yous because Elizabeth so graciously brought them back uh, last episode. I like, thank- like didn't even realize that we weren't doing that. We just hadn't done them in a long time. So <laughs> I'd like to thank Brittany Friesner at the Ice Cinema for letting us do this podcast. Uh, I'd like to thank Steve Alford and the Rational Discourse for the use of our theme song Chimney off of the album Live at the Mothlight. I would like to thank uh, Craig Sorvig and uh, (laughs) Julia Ricci for giving me employment. (laughs) With that, I think uh, that's going to do it for us this week. This has been A Place for Film. We'll see you at the movies. Good night. Good night.